You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. And Almighty God, we ask that you would make your Son present to us here this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I was reading a survey the other day which said that the parable of the prodigal son is the only parable more popular than the parable of the good Samaritan. Not only are these two parables the most popular, but they are also, at least according to the survey, didn't do much background check, sorry, also the most cherished of all parables. Most of us in this room have heard these parables before. Even before I was a Christian, I knew about the parable of the Good Samaritan. I knew about it because a whole lot of countries have these Good Samaritan laws. And these laws are designed to provide legal protection for those who might act as Good Samaritans to help others. And who could forget the final episode of Seinfeld? Has anyone in here watched it? How, at the very end, and it's genius, right? The show, the actual episode is kind of mediocre, which was unfortunate, but it's a great concept, a show about nothing, and what happens? They get arrested for doing nothing. They get arrested because they see this person being robbed, and they do nothing about it. They were not good Samaritans. On a slightly sadder note, the other day I read a story about a contemporary version of the Good Samaritan parable, except in this case, there was no Good Samaritan to lend a hand. A 62-year-old woman, Delmi Barton, collapsed with a stroke at a busy university stop. She lay vomiting on the road beside the stop. She was passing in and out of consciousness while people walked past and ignored her for five long hours. It seems the woman had no neighbor, none except the crucified Christ, of course, who is himself the friend and neighbor of those whom the world forgets. Before we get ahead of ourselves, let's see what's actually happening in the parable. I know we all know it, so this might sound redundant, so I will be quick. But it's helpful to put it in its context. We have a lawyer who comes to Jesus. And actually, let's go a little bit back before that. Right before this episode is when James and John tell Jesus, they essentially ask Jesus, should we call fire down from heaven upon these people? And who are these people? They're the Samaritans. And Jesus says, no, what what are you talking about? Right after that. A chapter later, here this lawyer stands up, puts Jesus to the text, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, this is a pretty good question, right? I mean, I want to know the answer to this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers the question with a question. What does it say in the law? The lawyer, being a good lawyer, Jay Ezel would know this. He's a good lawyer. He knows all the rules. He knows how to spit out the facts. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, strength, mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And we here at the Advent, we say that with a summary of the law 
every single week, and it's still true. Love God, love neighbor. This is a picture of the entire law. Jesus says, awesome, great answer, do this, you will live. This is where it gets a little bit interesting, though, right? The, the lawyer, a good lawyer, is probably a question that Jay would, would ask, the follow-up. And who is my neighbor? Define it for me. And we're, we're supposed to be cued into the fact he's saying the narrator puts in his mouth to justify himself. And then we'll later see that when this lawyer essentially points out who was the neighbor, he can't even say that he was a Samaritan, the one who showed him mercy. The neighbor here, uh, I, what the, the lawyer is trying to do here, what we see happening is that lawyer is trying to, to limit the category. He's trying to make it easier for himself. Isn't that what we're all trying to do? How do I define what I got to do? And what is the least amount necessary for me to do? How do I get by? Jesus, as he always does, surprises us. He blows up the category. He blows up the category with a story. He, he tells it slant to the lawyer. The lawyer here is giving him, here's the fact, here's the question, here's the fact. Jesus invites the hearers in not by just giving them facts. Sometimes all I want are the facts. Tell me what I got to do. Tell me what the truth is. And Jesus gives him the truth, but he gives him it through this great story. A man is going down from Jerusalem, falls among robbers, is stripped to beat, departed, and left half dead. I'm not going to get into this, but for those of you who are really interested, the church fathers say some of the most interesting things about this parable and they make it all about the gospel, and I think it's actually quite faithful to the text. We're going to do what more modern exegetes do, but a little homework for you who want a completely different sermon that's also faithful. But so we have this man. He falls among robbers. He's, he's like Delmay. He's, he's half dead along the road. And then we, you know, Jesus has us moving toward him with these stories. The lawyer you know, it's probably a lawyer of the law, not just a, a lawyer like Jay, so we'll put Jay off the hook. He's probably a lawyer involved with the temple, with the cult, with, with Judaism. And then we see this priest comes on, the priest. Of course, the priest is going to do the right thing. Of course, the Levite uh, is going to do the right thing, but what do they do? They pass this person by, much like all those people did in that story I talked about at the beginning, and the surprising thing is here, again, right after James and John, they're, they're calling for fire from heaven upon these people, the Samaritan shows up, and the Samaritan is the good guy, right? The Samaritan isn't just any good guy, he's the, he's the best guy. He sees him, he has compassion, he binds up his wounds, he pours oil and wine on them, puts them on the animal, puts them in an inn, pays for it, and says, I'll pay even more. Hint, this is what the church fathers get at. The good Samaritan is, in fact, Jesus. Just read what he does for him. He goes the whole way for him. This is Jesus here. And what a scandal, right? The, the lawyer, when, he, when he's asked the question, who, who was the neighbor? He says, the one who showed him mercy. He can't say 
it was the Samaritan, but he knows who it is. Jesus has reeled them in. But I think what we forget here is just how radical this is. The, the Samaritans are, are despised people. The Samaritan is the other. Think of the people in your life, and maybe as you go home today, think of the people who, you know, we're good. We believe in justification by grace through faith here, right? So we can stare in the mirror at our sins and our shortcomings. Think about, as you leave here today, who do you despise? And don't pretend like you're all holy. We all despise someone or some group. Who do we fear? Who are we afraid of? If you can't bring yourself to say, oh, I despise, who are you? we're all afraid of someone. Who's not like us? Maybe it's an issue of race or class or, unfortunately, in our day and age, it's politics. I was on Twitter yesterday, and don't ever go on Twitter. Uh, it's one of the most toxic places on the planet, and it makes you poisoned. Uh, I, I'm not saying don't go on Twitter. Just, just guard your hearts. Um, but our neighbor is... In this story, the one in need, the one in need who we would probably rather pass by. Again, put yourself into this story. It's, it's the good guys. It's you and me, right? We think about, we're good guys, right? At the end of the day, we're good people, right? You're good people, I'm good people. We are the ones who passed by Delme. We are the ones who passed by this person who's like us, who looks like us, who we should help. And here it is, the person we despise. They're the person who helps the folk in need. Rightly so, again, just cheating on what the church fathers say, it's you and I are the one in the pit. And it's the one that we despise who rescues us and goes the whole way to put us up to make us whole. I still don't feel like I have captured just how truly radical what Jesus said was in his own day. And it's, isn't it amazing for all the talk today we have about how, like, well, this, you know, what they did, it wasn't good, but, you know, I guess we can say they were conditioned by their time. When we hear this story about Jesus, no one is saying, well, you know, that was 2,000 years ago, he should have said this. Or, this is still in our day a truly radical thing. And I think it's a radical thing because we're the same fallen creatures that we were 2,000 years ago. We like those who like us. We like those who think like us. In fact, I think right now in our hyper-polarized state, we're at a worse place than we were before. I mean, I'm not that old, but for, for you guys out there who are 10 years older than me, do you remember when politicians of different parties could talk to each other or grab a beer together at the end of the day. And I know I'm from New York City. I'm not poking fun of one side or the other. I know you're thinking that. I'm saying we're both in it. We're all in it together, both left and right. We cannot stand each other. We need the parable of the Good Samaritan for us today. For we who, I mean, we here at the Church of the Advent, we are Orthodox Christians. We believe in the authority of scriptures. Maybe the hard thing for us to hear is that the Samaritans are those who worshipped differently. The Samaritans were heretics. 
they didn't have the, the best theology. Their theology was wanting, we'll just put it that way. They were unclean, and yet Jesus is putting the Samaritan as the hero of the story. The Samaritan, as the church fathers say, is the Christ figure who acts as God's agent. Now, I want to include all of us in this. Because how often, I'm just going to talk about Ben DeHart for a second. How often do I pass the other by? Almost all the time. In fact, I'm not even sure I know how to not pass by the other, especially when I lived in New York. You just, you had so many people in need. And it's not that much different here in Birmingham, right? We've, we've all, if you spend time at all in the city, you're going to walk by someone who's going to ask you for money. And I'm not saying you have to do that or should do that or whatever. Let God put that on your heart. But so often, I pass by the other. So if I, if I want the parable of the prodigal son to be merely a moral tale, I cannot pretend like I am on the correct side of it. Like I, yes, I can check that box. And if you're in this room and you think you can check the box, then I think you've missed the point of the parable. I think you've missed the point of the whole gospel of where Jesus is going with all of this. Now, lest we end with the imperative, and I don't, I don't want to downplay the imperative, right? You go and do likewise, Jesus says. But I think we have a clue to the larger meaning of this parable in with the, law, the lawyer's response. Because while the lawyer can't bring himself to say the Samaritan did it, he does say, the one who showed him mercy. The one who showed him mercy. You and I, at times, have very good reasons for having hate in our heart toward this or that particular person. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe a deal fell through. Maybe you fill in the blank. You know how some of you in this room have experienced abuse that I can't fathom, and I'm so sorry for it. And I don't think you can just, it's okay. Here in this story, we see the one who has compassion, the one who has mercy, is the Samaritan. And throughout the rest of the Gospel of Luke, the one who has compassion, the one who has mercy, is Jesus alone. Is Jesus alone. So when we see and we read this text, and we might get tempted to think that, okay, the sum of the Christian faith is to look after other people, to do good things, to be in the right. We are called to do good and hard things, but the ethic is grounded in Christology. I know it's a big word, but I'm going to say it again. The ethic is grounded in Christology. We show mercy. We forgive because we have been forgiven much. Because, and what I didn't say was, because I wanted to get here, what the church fathers say about the person in the pit is the reason he's in the pit is because he got involved with the robbers. Does that make sense? The reason we're in this place of our own devising is because we've gotten caught up in all that hurts us. 
and Jesus, the Good Samaritan par excellence, comes to us in the pit and shows mercy on us. He has compassion. He's bound us, poured on oil and wine, and set us on his animal, took us to the inn, takes care of us, and I'll spend even more. We have been forgiven much, despite the fact that we get involved with the robbers time and time again. Our Lord goes down into the ditch and picks us up. Though some of us have had religious leaders who see us in the ditch and pass us by, Jesus is not like them. Jesus comes into the ditch and lifts us out. In fact, he dies in the ditch so that we might live. My friends, the reason why this parable is so important is twofold. All of those who look differently, differently than us, who believe differently than us, you and I are called to serve. But most importantly, we are the ones who put ourselves in the ditch and Christ has come to show compassion and mercy. He has forgiven us much. Now we are empowered to forgive. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.